I'd like to read some verses from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1, and then chapter 2, and then from Ephesians, chapter 5. Book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, 2, verses 1 to 4, and then Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18. So let's start in Acts, chapter 1, with verses 1 to 5. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of of God, wouldn't you have liked to have been in those Bible studies? On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then into Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then down to the well-known verse, In Ephesians 5, verse 18, we read these words. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. If you've been in church for the last two weeks, you will know that we have planned for the first five weeks of the year to focus on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great way to start a year, because we need to understand that the church exists to both proclaim and to live out the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that is recognisable to the world in which we live. When Christ is not at the centre of a local church, then usually something, or more likely someone else, is at the centre. When Christ is not at the centre of church, we know it's in a worrying place. The story of John Newton, the foul-mouthed slave slave trader, is well known. And you will know that uh, he was converted, gave his life to following Christ. And as an old man, years after his retirement, he continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But with a young man to aid him, because his own voice was fading and his eyesight was fading too. And on one occasion in the pulpit, when John Newton was preaching, he said twice, Jesus Christ is very precious. And the young man who was helping him just leant towards him very gently <coughs> and said to him, Sir, you've already said that twice. And John Newton said, Excuse me. And yes, and I'll say it again. Jesus Christ is very precious. And my prayer for us today is that we will have that, not simply as a saying that we believe, but for as the overflow of our hearts, we will be able to declare, Jesus Christ 
is very precious. Today we focus on him as baptizer in the Holy Spirit, or one who fills us with the Spirit. Because as our framework for these studies over the next few weeks, we've gone back to what the early Pentecostals set out in their gospel, their four-square gospel. Jesus as saviour, Jesus as healer, Jesus as baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Jesus as coming king. It's a great framework for us to have, and we know that Jesus is more than those things. But it's a great framework to have at the beginning of the year. And this week we want to speak on Jesus as baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Now we know, according to Colossians 1, verse 18, that Jesus is the head of the church, the body. Jesus is the head of the church. That's his place, and that's his heart. But we know also that the Spirit was given in order to empower God's people to live for him, to live for his glory, and to fulfill his purposes here on planet Earth. And so today I'm not in any way separating the work of the Spirit from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, there is a momentous statement about Jesus that John the Baptist makes in Matthew chapter 3. He speaks about Jesus and he says, I have baptized you with water, but after me comes one who is far more powerful. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we see in our reading today from Acts 1 that Jesus restates that promise to the disciples in Jerusalem when he tells them, stay, and in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean for us to be baptised in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for us to receive his fullness? And I realise that some of what I've said this morning, I've said before, but we always have guests, we always have visitors, we always have folk who are new to the church. So let me just begin by saying that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And the Bible witnesses to that. There are other groups, and forgive me if you are from that group, but if you are a Jehovah's Witness, you will be taught that the Holy Spirit is a force. He is not a force. The scripture is very clear about his personhood. In John 16, we read these words. Jesus says about the Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Jesus says he, not it. It's a person, not a force or a power. Again, in Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lie to God and they lie to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem about the gift they've given, Peter says to them, don't you know what you've done? You haven't lied just to man, but you've lied to God. And I put it to you that you can't lie to an an inanimate force. You can't lie simply to a power. You lie to a person. Again, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, we read that the Holy Spirit said to the disciples and the apostles, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Once again, the use of the personal pronoun. They're not words used of an impersonal force. They are words used of the Holy Spirit. He is God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. You see, we can get carried away and we think that we can somehow zap someone else 
with the force of the Spirit or zap a situation with the force of the Spirit. And we can't do that because he is not a force for us to zap others with. He's God the Holy Spirit for us to submit to. Secondly, the Spirit of God has been given so we may become more like Jesus and that we might effectively serve him. So to borrow a picture from a better preacher than I am, the Holy Spirit is not a kind of outboard motor that we fit on the back of our own little rowing boat that will get us where we want to go at the speed we want to travel at when we want to go. He's not here simply to empower us to do what we want to do. He's God the Holy Spirit. I've said very often, he is not a means to an end. He is the end because he himself is God. And so he's not here just for us to fulfill our own purposes, rather for us to be empowered to fulfill the purposes of God in our day. And the Spirit of God is grieved when we resist the Lordship of Jesus over our lives. So let me come back to the question, what does it mean for us to be baptised in the Holy Spirit? Well, if I may, I'm going to change that word baptised to filled for two reasons. Number one, I think it might be easier for us to understand. Secondly, the word filled is used constantly in the New Testament occurrences where people are baptised in the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts 2, in verse 4, what we read just a few moments ago, when the promise of Jesus and the Father is fulfilled, the disciples are described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism or fullness of the Spirit was what those early Pentecostal believers that I talked about a few minutes ago were really hungering for and experienced. They were already committed Christians. The Spirit of God was already in them, as he is in any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had delivered them. They repented of their sin. They knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. But when they read the New Testament, it stirred a hunger in them that seemed like there was a dynamic, a dimension that they had not yet experienced of God's power and of his fullness. And they wanted it. And they sought it with all their heart. And God answered by baptising them in the Spirit or filling them with the Spirit or coming upon them with the Spirit, a phrase the New Testament also uses as they prayed. And like their New Testament predecessors, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can be also as we seek God today. And as I've said, it's not that they didn't have the Spirit before. We believe that when a Christian really commits their life to Christ, the Spirit of God comes into them. But there is a fullness of the Spirit. A fullness is often, but not always, the gateway to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. A fullness which is such a joy that expresses itself in our hearts and lives, that empowers and enables us to live for Christ and to live for his glory. Let me use this illustration, which isn't perfect, but might help. There are some cleaning jobs at home for which you need to dip a sponge, a corner of a sponge, into a small amount of water. And you take it with you and you rub it on the mark that you want to remove. And just that small amount of water will remove the mark. But there are other jobs 
for which you need a sponge filled with water. And so you plunge it into a sink of water and every part of the sponge becomes full in that moment of the water it is plunged in. And that might help us to see being baptised in the Spirit as being soaked in Him in those moments, as being completely filled with the Spirit and with His presence. So you might ask the question, why would God want us to be like that? And in answering that question, I come to Ephesians 5 and verse 18. If you remember, we read it at the beginning. And it says this, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And many of you know this before I even say it, that the Greek language, its tense, is what's called present continuous in that moment. It should read, be being filled. In other words, it should be the ongoing experience of a believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as Paul commands or calls us to. Why would God want that? You might think, if he says, do not be drunk with wine, that there was a problem with alcohol in the church at Ephesus. That perhaps people were getting drunk or drinking too much or behaving badly as a result. But when you read the New Testament text, there is no confirmation or indication of that. There's no confirmation of drunkenness in the church of Ephesus. But I think what Paul is saying is this. Look, it's very obvious when someone is under the influence of alcohol, you can see it. It's very easy. But maybe Paul is saying to this city of Ephesus, as he might say to us in our city of Leeds, what this city needs is men and women who are powerfully under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who haven't got a little bit of him, as it were, on the corner, but have been plunged into him, filled with him, have received him, on whom the Spirit of God has come, who are living their lives under the influence of the Spirit of the living God in a difficult and challenging world. I think that's what Paul was saying. See, when people are drunk with alcohol, there are often obvious outward signs. But I want to say this, when, although that might sometimes happen when we're filled with the Spirit, for the most part, what happens is there's a change on the inside. And it's on the overflow of our mouth, very often, or our actions, or our peace, or our lifestyle, that people recognize there is something different about this man or woman that has been filled with God's Spirit. We need to live in that way in our nation in these days, filled with the Spirit. We can't be filled with the Spirit and not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. If we think we can, we have um, <clears throat> made a very serious mistake. Fruit and gifts and Spirit-filled believers need to go absolutely together. So don't live your life under the influence of this world, is what Paul is saying. Don't live your life under the influence of the things that the world uses uh, to escape, if you like, or to have a good time. Live your life for Christ under the influence of the Spirit of God. Let him be obvious in your lifestyle to those who are around you. So, I come to summarise just for a moment where we are so far in what I've shared. First of all, Jesus promised to baptise us in the Holy Spirit very clearly in Scripture. John said he would, Jesus said he would. 
Secondly, the Spirit is not a force. He's not a power. He is not an energy that we can throw about. He is God, the Holy Spirit. And we need to submit to him. Every true believer has the Spirit in him, but there is a promise of the fullness of the Spirit, which could be our regular experience. So here is my next question. How will I know that I have been filled with the Holy Spirit? How will I know? You could do some work on that question if you're serious about it. When you get home from here or sometime during this week, you could run through the book of Acts and you could highlight moments when it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit or they were all, the Holy Spirit came upon them or the room was filled. You could just run through the book of Acts, look at the references, make a note, see what words repeat, begin to get an idea yourself of what you think happens when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> you could Google it, but I need to say for protocol, other search engines are available. I think we have to say that today. Personally, <clears throat> I tend towards this belief. I tend towards this belief that in most cases, and not in all, the evidence of having been filled with the Spirit is often Holy Spirit-inspired words or utterance. I'm not dogmatically saying that's what happens to everyone. I know that it doesn't. And in fact, in the scripture, there are occasions when people are filled with the Spirit or the Spirit comes upon them, and we do not know what happens. What we do know is the people around them recognized that the Spirit of God had come upon them. It's not the only evidence, but it is scriptural. <clears throat> Let me show you what I mean. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus himself says, You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And I want to suggest to you that in most cases, in fact probably ultimately in every case, when we witness to the truth and the reality and the glory and the beauty and the power and the wonder of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we do so with words. Yes, of course, with lifestyle, but lifestyle is explained in language. And it was certainly the experience of those early disciples. God gave ordinary unlearned men, largely unlearned, the ability to speak languages that they had never learned in order to communicate his message to a lost world. They received power after the Holy Spirit came upon them and they became his witnesses. My dad is here this morning. He won't mind me reminding you of the story of when he was 15 years old and his brother was um, preaching at the Market Square in Petersfield in Hampshire. Some military policemen saw him in uniform, mistakenly thought that he was out of order and asked him to stand down. And the pastor propelled my dad, aged 15, to the Market Square cross to preach in the open air. And my dad will tell you, he's here this morning, sorry to mention it, Dad, it was almost 80 years ago, that as he stood to preach, the Spirit of God came on him. And he declared the word of God with a fluency, with an authority that he'd never experienced before. And I think he would say that was his moment of baptism in the Holy Spirit. You will receive power after the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Then secondly, speaking in tongues is another wonderful sign. You can see that Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19 and elsewhere. Please may I say this to you, I want to encourage you 
If you've not spoken in tongues, ask God to enable you to do so. Personally, I have found it such a blessing in prayer and in worship, sometimes in waiting on God to discover what God is wanting to do and say, I find it sensitizes me to um, the person and work of the Spirit. And I need to say this, that very often when you're involved in a deliberate situation, when you begin to preach, uh, speak powerfully in tongues, the enemy does not like it and lets you know that. There's something powerful in tongues which I don't fully understand, but I want to encourage you to speak in tongues and to ask God to help you. Now let me just say one thing, if you'll forgive a personal response. Sometimes I hear pastors, Pentecostal, charismatic, reducing speaking in tongues to one word. And I know that they're just trying to be humorous. They call it shandying or something similar. And I want to say to you this morning, if you'll forgive me, it's just my opinion. I don't find that funny at all. When someone speaks in tongues, whether it's a heavenly tongue or a human tongue, it is because... God the Holy Spirit speaks through their mortal body and through their physical mouth to the glory of God the Father. That is not shandying. That is a remarkable, gracious gift of God to his glory and for his honour. And we should not reduce it to anything less than that. Now another sign of having been filled with the Spirit could be that you prophesy. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh and they will prophesy, says Joel, says the Holy Spirit through Joel uh, and again in Acts chapter 2. Now prophecy is very, very powerful and I love prophecy when it's done properly within the right guidelines and with sensitivity. We need to see it happen more often, especially out there in the street and in the nation. Yesterday, Mel and I and some others here were at a prophetic day uh, up in Geisley. And during the course of that afternoon, I had four prophetic words which were accurate over my life. One of them was a confirmation of things that Mel and I have been privately praying over the last two weeks. That was just so encouraging. And we need to be open to God to speak. Some of you here, you, you're not prophets, but you can prophesy. That doesn't mean you'll do it every week at every time with a high level of accuracy, with great revelation. But it means there are lots of times when God will give you a word for someone to share and you'll be an encouragement. You might be prophets for all I know. But, but many of you here, I think anybody who is filled with the Holy Spirit can prophesy. And probably will do whether they realize it or not at one point in their life. But what I'm saying is very often the fullness of the Spirit is expressed out of us, as it were, through Holy Spirit-inspired utterance through words. I believe that the prophetic song that um, Zechariah sings when he is filled with the Spirit in Luke 1.67 is exactly that, a prophetic song of praise to God. The Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, began to declare the praises of God. Worship, prophetic song, tongues, witnessing, prophecy, Holy Spirit-inspired utterance. They're not the only things, but I encourage you to ask God for those. And I want to say again that there are times in the book of Acts when we do not know what took place. So I don't want to limit God. I don't want to put the Holy Spirit in a box. I don't want to say if it's not that, it's not the Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you to seek to be filled with him today 
and always. So, how can I receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit very quickly? Three things I want to suggest. Number one, it may be that there is a blockage in our hearts and lives that we need to repent of. And so in a minute, as the worship band come up and begin to lead us in some songs of worship and adoration, even before that, I want to encourage you not to go back over your entire history, but to say to the Lord, Lord, is there something in my life today which is a blockage to the fullness of the Spirit? Would you please show me that now so that I can ask you to forgive me, repent of it, and clear the way for your Spirit to flow through me for the glory and honour of your name. Secondly, once we have repented, if God puts something on our heart, I want to encourage you then to ask God to fill you with the Spirit. Don't just stand there, but ask him, Lord, I want to know all that you meant when you said we would receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon us. What did you mean? I want to know that. I want everything that you've got for me. I want you to fill me with your spirit today and in days that lie ahead. Lord, I want to be open to the fullness of your spirit. Ask him is the second thing that we need to do. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to open your mouth in praise and worship. So when we stand in just a few moments to lift up our hearts and voices to the Lord, don't stay there with your mouth closed saying, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit in your head. Okay? Worship him. Pray out loud. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time and spoke in tongues, there was about 40 of us in a room. It was very quiet. We were singing very quietly. It wasn't ostentatious. It wasn't dramatic in any way. And I just found myself like an extension of my human praise. I found myself speaking with a tongue that God had given me. It wasn't dramatic. It didn't, didn't draw attention. Only the person next to me knew in a small group of about 40 people. It wasn't, you know, <clears throat> spectacular. Uh, don't think that's going to happen to you. But as you worship and as you pray, as you seek the face of God this morning, ask him, Lord, is there something that needs to be removed from my life right now? Will you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? And as you worship him, be open to him, just welling up inside you and replacing your human words with words that you haven't learned. So we're going to take some time to worship and pray. Maybe you want prayer this morning for healing, or you want prayer for some issue that you face in life or for family, or you want prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There'll be folk in the welcome area, and there'll be some folk down here at the front. We would love to pray with you this morning. But where you are as you worship, then I want to encourage you, open your heart and life to God. Ask him to fill you. Lift up your heart and voice. Speak to him this morning. Seek his face this morning. And let's believe for God to fall on us, to come upon us, to fill us with his spirit, to baptize us in this wonderful person, God, the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me as we worship together?